Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for finding a cool place to come on a very hot day. Next week, um, Laurie and I will be gone. We're going to go to Colorado and hoping to experience a Rocky Mountain High, or maybe I should say that a different way. But anyhow, <laughs> Adam will be closing out our series on Galatians in chapter 6. We've had uh, Paul and 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 Adam and me and Mike before that, and we have had a, a great series on Galatians. And um, this morning, I want to I want to take the first ten verses of chapter six to show you an abrupt change, really an abrupt departure from where Paul was for the first five chapters in his instructions to the church at Galatia to a kind of a shift in tone, where Paul really takes on the role of, of pastor, shepherd, as opposed to just the teacher who's trying to correct their many mistakes. So if you'll find your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, here's what Paul has to say. Now, you'll hear these words like sin and other issues in it. He's still, he's still calling them like he sees them. But he's going to have a, a solution to the problems of the church at Galatia. And let me just refresh your memory about the essential issue of the problem of this church. There were two warring groups of Christians. That seems like a contradiction in terms, but there really were two warring groups of Christians. One group of these new believers came from the Jewish faith. And so they felt it was important to not only believe in Jesus, but they also felt it was important to continue to observe the Jewish law in all matters of dietary issues and um, where you worship, when you worship, how you worship, etc. Then there was a second group of Christians, new Christians, that came from the Gentile faith. And the Gentiles, or non-faith, one could even say, because most Gentiles in the first century had no faith at all uh, unless it was a, a faith in multiple gods and in statues and in idols that they worshipped. So these two groups of people, I mean, they are just set up for conflict, but they're in this church together. They're set up for real disputes because the two different ways of looking at spiritual reality were formed very differently for both of them. And so they have just been at each other's throats. And the first five chapters of Galatians are Paul talking about how this has got to stop and how the, those pushing them toward legalism have got to, to back down from that. So we pick it up in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Let me say those words again. Restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you too may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So again, to review, Paul is sort of stepping into as the apostle, the founder of most of these churches, one way or the other. Paul is stepping into a major mess at the church at Galatia. It is no stretch to say that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are truly at each other's throats. This is not a happy community of Christian people. Those calling for all to keep the ceremonial laws were battling with those who believed they should be free from the law. The law keepers, this is kind of funny too, because Paul, I mean, I think you can kind of tell by the way he talks in the book of Galatians, Paul is not a guy that goes easy through the night. I mean, Paul is a volatile guy. I mean, he has some really tough things to say to people, and he's not afraid to tell them. But some of the Jewish Christians now in Galatia even thought Paul was a softy for being willing to give up on the ceremonial law and being so kind to these Gentile Christians. So you've got that dynamic going on too. And throughout Galatians, he has written with a fury at those who would pervert the message of the gospel. Scholars are uh, pretty much unified on the idea that when, when Paul wrote his letters, he, have, he was actually dictating these letters. And there was somebody who was a, a careful craftsman of, of words, of writing, not the words themselves, but just who could print well, if you will. They can just picture Paul just lambasting these people. And the guy writing all this stuff down is kind of raising his eyebrows like, oh, wow. Okay, that's what you mean. This is, this is God's word, so I'll write it down. So let's get the sense that Paul was really mad. It's a righteous anger, but it's a red in the face, I'm mad at this situation kind of anger. Then we get to chapter 6, and you can just feel the Apostle Paul's blood pressure start to drop because he's now going to propose a solution to this warring church. He's got a solution for them, and he's, he shifts into a whole different instruction. It's really an amazing transformation. This fierce defender of the true faith has now moved into this gentle shepherd, and he's going to give loving counsel to this warring church. And all of the Christians in Galatia are going to be taught how to get over the problems that they have. And interestingly enough, Paul's solution to them getting over the troubles that they have is not just everybody think like the other person. These opinions are going to go on for a long time. Paul shifts it to the theory of the Christian life to the facts of living out the Christian life. And he says, the solution to this problem is for each one of you 
to bear each other's burdens, to bear each other's burdens by the gracious leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says will heal this church. Here again, verse 1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So the goal is restoration, right? The goal is restoration. How is restoration going to happen? It's going to happen by one another restoring each other gently. Because all kinds of words have been said in this church. All kinds of hard feelings exist. Paul is saying, your job now is to restore one another gently by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, these, these differences, these issues, these arguments, they're going to fall by the wayside, and you're going to be a community of people together who are bearing one another's burdens and who are living a life of gracious Christian peace. The Greek word here for sin, when the when the word says in something, if someone is caught in a sin. The Greek word here for sin is, this particular word is more like a word that we might say someone slipped up. It's not a habitual sin of malicious intent, but it's a sin of someone having slipped up. It's not a long, deliberated, full-fledged act of sin, but it's a, it's a slip-up. And the word here is used to, to describe like someone is walking on a mountain trail and is on a narrow precipice and starts to slip on the loose rock. This is the kind of thing he's talking about. The best of us slips up. That's what Paul is saying. The best of us slips up. The best of us sins but the best of us certainly slips up. That's true for us. All of us do. That's the stuff we're made of. We can be a wholly redeemed person, but we still slip up. This is the message Paul wants the church to understand. A slip up. This is what's happening with these people. The, the people of Galatia, well-intended, have slipped up. One of the dangers for people who've frankly been Christ followers for a long time is that we're, we really are prone to judging other Christians harshly. How quick we are to say they've, they've really messed up and there's something that has to be done about it. It's one of the least appealing parts of life together as Christians when we judge harshly someone who has slipped up. It doesn't mean we ignore the problem, but how we deal with it is really, really important. The job of the church when someone sins, the job of the church when someone slips up is not harsh judgment, but the job of the church is to restore that person, to get them back on their feet. The word restore here is the same word in the Greek that's used to describe mending a broken limb. When one of us in the congregation, any congregation, whether it's at Galatia 2,000 years ago or Tulsa, Oklahoma at Redeemer. The job of the church is to help mend the person and restore them back into the fullness and joy of the life of the church. In one of the two churches that I served before coming back to Redeemer, I had a unusual and sort of a challenging job. It was certainly challenging for me. We, it was a very large church, and I had responsibility as chief of staff 
for the 140 staff people at the church. So when you get 140 staff people together, it's a guarantee somebody's going to have a problem or there's going to be arguments or challenges or difficulties. And one day it came to my attention that one of our, one of our pastors had slipped up. Wouldn't call it a horrible sin, but it's something that needed to be addressed. Let's just call it he'd slipped up. What he did specifically doesn't matter here. And so I'm wrestling in my mind with what do I do with this slip up and how do I address it? So I called together the people who knew who were my direct reports and got them in my office and said, okay, here's our situation. You all know about it. What do we do about this problem? Well, sure enough, the, the group of about eight people, nine people, just almost just divided right down the middle. One group said right off the bat, he's got to go. He is out of here. The other group said, oh, no, it's our job to just, oh, just, Bill, just coach him a little bit, and let's just try not to let this news out, and let's just, it'll be okay, and whatever. And one person, a dear, dear soul, whose memorial service was yesterday out in California, I've referenced her before in one of my sermons as a, a really amazingly godly human being, but she, she had the answer. She had the right approach to it. And she said simply to us, the question, it was all a bunch of guys and one woman. One woman had the answer. So maybe that's just a truism all the time. But that was certainly the case for us. All of us guys just got quiet because this woman named Denise had the answer. She says, what can we do to restore this person to the joy of the Lord and to keep him from messing up again? Wow. It was game, set, match. Meeting's over. That's what we were going to do. So I went to this fellow, and I said, here's what, here's what our goal is here. We want to restore you to the joy of the Lord, and we want to help you from messing up again. He just weeped buckets of tears of repentance, of gratitude, of, of change. And his life was remedied and his problem was solved and, and he was restored. It's that spirit that Paul is talking about here with the church at Galatia. This is exactly, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. It's exactly what he was trying to do. The church in Galatia was torn up. Some of the people needed confronting, but the goal was restoration. The goal was not banishment from the community of God's people. So Paul goes on, and he addressed the matter of how we do this in the life of the church, how we care for one another, even when we slip up, and even when we don't, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Here's my own little translation. Just help one another within the church, for this is what Christ would want you to do. So Paul has broadened this, not just from someone who had done wrong or several someones who had done wrong. 
He's broadening this concept about how to, to restore people into this broader perspective about what makes the church the church is that we bear each other's burdens in good times and in bad times. We bear one another's burdens. He said back in chapter 5, verse 13, Paul said this, serve one another in love. That's the point of the church, is that we serve one another in love. There's nothing tricky about that verse. To serve one another in love means we serve one another in love. It's as simple as it gets. We can just assume that that's what it means. So you ask yourself, what is it that we're supposed to do for one another to share in each other's burdens? Well, you could, could be a long list, we're, but we're supposed to pray for and share the burdens and help the material needs with people with physical, mental, moral, spiritual, financial, health needs, anything that our sisters and brothers within our own family of faith and outside our family of faith, but Paul is being specific here within the family of faith. People who are in the midst of the family of the faith who struggle with these things, we are called to share their burdens. Jesus put it this way in John 15, 12, love each other as I have loved you. This is what it means to be a Christian community. The Christian church, sadly, not anyone in specific, but just Christian churches all over the country, all over the world, we admittedly are not always known for doing this. One Christian skeptic who used to attend church left the church over the way it handled him, and he says, the Christian church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Well, if that's true, then we have a lot of repairing to do, just like the church at Galatia had repairing to do. The church can't be the army that shoots its wounded. Maybe you've experienced that in a church somewhere. Maybe you've experienced that here. I hope and pray not. I hope that's not the case. But it's not a pretty sight when it happens. Now, Paul gives a balanced teaching here. He says, now burden bearing isn't limitless. We can and we must pray for people who are burdened by life. We can and we must help them with their material needs. We can and we must befriend them and listen to them and help them. But Paul is clear. There is a boundary here. There are boundaries here that still need to be kept. In verse 5, he says, for each one should carry their own load. Burden bearing does not relieve people from the obligation that they have to do all they can for themselves. In the original language here, Paul is literally, literally using a Greek word to say, pick up your pack, pick up your own pack, and carry it. We do all that we can for ourselves. We pick up our pack and we carry it. But there are times in the life of all of us when we can't pick up the pack and carry it. It's just too hard and it's just too heavy. That's where burden bearing comes in. Within the last couple of weeks at Redeemer, I've witnessed in some really amazing things. I have been in my office, I 
if you just kind of picture me leaning back in my chair with my hands behind my head, just thinking, wow, there's really some great things going on here. Every day I learn about somebody who's preparing meals for someone else. I hear the reports from the prayer team about prayers going out for people. I've heard people who've befriended people in all kinds of ways. This is just part of the DNA of this place, and it's part of what I rejoice in about our church. We're by no means perfect, but there's so much good going on. There's so much real burden-bearing happening. We also had something happen a couple of weeks ago that was um, really just kind of phenomenal. So I'm going to embarrass a couple of people and talk about, talk about a whole family here. Um, the Gillett family sitting over there, and, and don't worry, I'm, I'm going to try not to keep embarrassing you, but, well, actually I am, so we're just going to keep going for a while, okay? So, has it been two weeks now? No? Ten days? Something like ten days? Anyway, very recently, Brian and Gretchen, their kids, Blake and Greta, were down in Mexico for a brief vacation. Brian is body surfing. Brian's an athletic guy, very safe thing to do. So Brian is, is body surfing, and it was a big wave, and as best as I can describe it, the wave kind of abruptly ended, and Brian is headfirst into the sand, into the floor of the ocean maybe, and suddenly he knows he has a real problem. He's lost, temporarily lost feeling He's not able to scramble to the shore. The kids help with that. Brian's broken five vertebrae in his neck, and it's really scary. So the next thing that happens is Gretchen goes into hyperdrive, and if you know Gretchen, that's a pretty easy gear for Gretchen to get into, and we love her for it. Gretchen goes into hyperdrive, and we're getting texts Staff is getting texts. Friends back in the church and probably other friends too are getting these texts. There's been an accident with Brian. Pray for us. Staff all gathers together. We pray. People are already, the whole prayer team is now dialed in. We're all praying. Brian probably isn't even in the ambulance yet in Mexico, but we're all praying. And the process is moving forward. Brian gets taken to a Mexican hospital. Nothing probably wrong with a Mexican hospital, but the, but the problem is he's, he's there. They want to do surgery, and the question is, is this a good thing to do, or should we get back to the States somehow? So a woman named Lou Erickson in our church, she was here in the first service. I told her I wasn't going to embarrass her either, but I did. But anyway, it's part of my job. So, um, so Lou... Lou is a force of nature. If you put Lou on a problem, Lou's going to find solutions. And Lou is, is going to work, finding opinions from physicians, many of whom were from this church, finding ways of getting Brian back in an air ambulance back to Tulsa. Uh, because the decision that the, the doctors were saying was it would be better to get him back here. So there's a plane, there's a plane trip that Brian took. This is Brian. By the way, this is about 30 minutes or 15 minutes before the storm hit two Thursdays ago. So Brian's coming out of this airplane. Gretchen's flown with him. Blake and Greta have flown in the night before. 
But that is, that's the journey there all the way to, to, from Mexico on to St. Francis Hospital, where Brian, where Brian gets uh, new opinions from American doctors, doctors here, that says, no, we think surgery is not needed. You just need to wear a really uncomfortable, awkward-looking brace for about two months. And our friend Brian, who's sitting on the second row, that's Brian in his very proud brace. Now, the reason I tell this whole story is, first of all, there were a succession of miracles that happened in this story. This really, um, the, talk to them about it sometime, but there were a succession of decisions that had to be made, that had to be made right. And these decisions impacted Brian's future in terms of the stability of his neck and his ability to walk and to be a healthy person. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing thing that happened. But all of these things just sequentially began to happen as God began to move through the body of Christ to help the Gillets find a solution to a really serious injury. That's what we do in the body of Christ. There was this amazing sense of burden bearing that took place in that story. And I think everything I've said is something you would likely agree with. It's just the way God works. God gets his people involved and things happen that wouldn't have otherwise happened. God causes a church to be caring for one another in countless ways. And though this is a dramatic example of a church caring for one of its own, stuff of a different kind happens every day around here. It happens in other churches. The body of Christ taking care of one another, praying for one another, doing tangible acts of grace and mercy for one another. So here's my question for all of us this morning. Whose burden are you aware of within the Redeemer family? And we care for people obviously outside our family too, but Paul's words here were about the body of Christ. Whose burden are you aware of that your simple phone call or a handwritten note or an email or a text or a, a, a prepared meal or an act of kindness or love or just simply coming alongside somebody who's going through a rough patch, whether it's by their own cause or whether it's like Brian, just a total, total accident. Who comes to your mind? You know, the Holy Spirit is the best detect, has the best detector system of anything or anybody. So God can actually place in your mind the name, the face, the person whom you know is in the midst of a struggle. I just want to ask you as I close in prayer this morning, would you, would you think who that person is? While I'm talking, would you pray for that person? And then would you ask God this one question, God, are you calling me to come alongside that person and befriend them in some unique way? If you're calling me to that, God, help me respond.
Because frankly, I don't need to tell you this. Life can be really hard sometimes. Life has real challenges. We live on this side of heaven and everybody needs help. Everybody needs the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, which is who we're called to be. While I pray, would you pray too? Lord God, I'm so grateful for the church. I'm just so grateful for the church. I'm grateful for the church because in seasons of my life, it's been the church that has people who have befriended it and loved me and my family. I'm so grateful for the church because every day I have the privilege of being able to witness the acts of kindness that people do for one another. Lord, we're, we're far from a perfect church. We have our moments where you must just sort of look at us and say, oh, come on, you can get better than this. But God, thank you for the church. And thank you for the prompting in our spirit that we may have just received to be intentionally kind and purposefully gracious to somebody within this body of Christ. Or we may already have a meal in mind, or we may already have a note written in our head, or we may already have a phone call planned of someone we're gonna reach out to and simply say, can I help you? Is there anything I can do? That'll be the church at work. And for the promise of what you will do continually in the life of this church, we give you our thanks and our abiding praise. Through Christ the living Lord we pray, amen.